Great. Let me pray for us before we get going again. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day so far. Lord, thank you for teaching from your word. Thank you for time together, whether that's something we relish or not. Thank you for the challenge to meet other people. Thank you for the challenge to uh, grow together as a church, to focus on the things that matter, to think through how those will, will have implications for the way that we live individually and together. Please be with us now by your Spirit. Please teach us, help us to fix our eyes on you, and so to grow in loving each other. Amen. David, at the uh, beginning, said there might be two extremes we're at on on how we feel about days like this. I'm fairly far down one end. Um, (laughs) Given a chance, I I would rather be a solo Christian. I'd rather sit at home uh, and do my own thing and and interact with people at work and maybe bear witness that way uh, Although, in honesty, I would sit at home with a book or a computer game. You know, um, I I could read transcripts of what we heard earlier, and I could give them intellectual assent, and isn't that enough? Or or some of you will be far down the other end, what what we might call the the, the Pat Brittenden extreme, where where relationships are what it's all about, and it's great, and and this, this is fantastic, but couldn't you be, be out there amongst other people? building those relationships and, and doing evangelism. Why, why this time where we get together in, in a holy huddle? What's that about? That, that's what this session's about, I think. Uh, that or I've misinterpreted the word build. Uh, we'll see. Um, we're going to look into two, uh, 1 Peter, sorry, chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. Why don't you open that up with me? Uh, and I will read it. So 1 Peter chapter 2, right there near the end of our Bibles. Chapter 2 verse 4 says this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. To those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. It's a famous and beautiful passage. 
If you were with us um, a Sunday morning about a month ago, you'll have heard David preaching to us from the start of 1 Peter. So you've had a bit of introduction. Peter was writing to these Christians who were scattered all over the Roman world. And he calls them exiles. That's one of the themes of his letter, that they are strangers in a strange land and they should live accordingly, different to the people around them. But of course, as strangers in a strange land, they feel weak. They are scattered, he says. And they are mocked and they are persecuted. And it would be much easier for them to simply fit in. To step back from Christianity to their old ways of Judaism or paganism. And so as David showed us a few weeks ago, Peter writes to encourage them. He encourages them with the the glorious riches of the gospel. He reminds them of their new status, the new birth that Christ has won for them. And he reminds them of their their long-term promise, the, the riches of heaven, which will one day be fully revealed. When Christ returns, the, the inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. And it, it's exciting. And so then in the rest of chapter 1, he, he writes to tell them to live accordingly. Strangers in the land. That they should live not as the people around them do, but as obedient children. Living holy lives, he says, because the one who has saved them is holy. They're to live in what he calls reverent fear. Because they fully understand the wonder of Christ's sacrifice. And that's all very good. And it's easy for us to read and give intellectual assent to and apply to ourselves. But then in chapter 1 verse 22 something happens. He says, Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And it starts to become clear that, that something that the English language with its, its oddities hides from us. Peter hasn't been speaking to individuals. He's not talking to lone believers scattered in the world. He's been talking to churches, groups of believers. Yes, they're scattered, but they're, they're scattered in clumps together. And as the letter progresses, it it begins to become clear that from Peter's point of view, growing up in faith and knowledge of the gospel is just not something you do solo. Having been purified and obeying the truth is inextricably linked, says Peter, with loving other Christians, with growing together. And obviously, that's what the build in our statement of the church we want to be is about. It's not about facilities. A little later we'll get an update. Liz will tell us what's going on at the moment with the Irving building. And it's exciting and it's daunting and it's great. But it's only important insofar as it serves the rest of what we want to be doing. We want to be a church who build up and care for and disciple people of all backgrounds through Christ-like relationships. We want to be believers who who live in community with each other and through that grow and become more like Jesus. We want to be those who, who through the way that we talk and love and serve together, nurture 
each other towards spiritual maturity. And this famous passage is one of many in the New Testament which point us in that direction. Let's look into it. Um, I'm only going to deal with it in parts. I don't have time to give it the full treatment. Um, I'm not going to do more than just touch on verses 7 and 8 and how it speaks to those outside the church. And I'm not going to mine down into the details of application. We have some time for that in groups afterwards. I just want to, to briefly point to us that the privilege that we see here, and then some of the challenges, you'll be able to think of more, I'm sure, and some of the encouragement. So, first of all, let's, let's look at verses 4 to 7. And we should see there a jaw-dropping privilege of salvation, or of being part of a church. And Peter has just, in, in verses 1 to 3, told his readers to respond to the enduring word of God by reforming their lives. And, and like babies yearning for milk, with that kind of sense, they're to cling to Jesus, knowing that he's good. And this is what he says it looks like in verse 4. As they come to Jesus, the living stone, that is, the foundation of the church, the rock of ages, who, who humans may have rejected, but God delights in. As they come to him, verse 5, they too, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And that's crucial. That's at the core of what Peter's going to be saying to them. As they together come to Jesus, as he builds them together, that is when they are becoming like him. Living stones. They are sharing somehow in his nature. Sharing in the character and identity. Sharing in the rejection that he has from humans. And so also sharing in the preciousness that he has before God. In Colossians, on Sunday mornings, we're going to be hearing about how Jesus embodies the fullness of God. He reveals it, and yet they are living stones like him. What a privilege. This church thing is something to be excited about. Four particular aspects of that privilege I want to point out to you. Um, first in verse 5. They are being built up as a temple, a holy priesthood. Just think about what that's saying. In Old Testament times, the, the temple was the jewel of God's promises. It was the heart of his kingdom. It, it was a wonder of the world. But here, that's his church. That's what we are. Secondly, still in verse 5, it, it's as they come together as a people, as they are built together, that they then have the opportunities to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Privilege of not just being part of Christ's body and temple, but more than that, of being able finally to offer sacrifices which God approves of and delights in. 
as we, we live and serve together. Thirdly, in verse 6, just as in Jesus the Lord has laid a chosen and precious cornerstone, the living stones that he builds alongside that cornerstone are equally chosen and precious. And so they're secure in him. We're told that they will never be put to shame. Privilege of incredible security as as we become part of the, the worldwide church of Christ. And then fourthly, in verse 7, this stone is precious to you who believe. That translation seems to be a little bit clunky. Um, It seems to really mean something more like, this stone is a preciousness to you, an honour to you, an exaltation to you. You are lifted up, you who believe, by this. What a privilege to be a believer, right? But it's a privilege which can only come as we come together as a people of God and are built into this temple. You can't build a temple from one brick. Well, not a very good one anyway. Rather, what we've got is Jesus the cornerstone. A first brick laid that sets the orientation and pattern for the whole of the rest of the building. And it's as... He sets his people next to each other, supporting each other, working together. That's as the pattern emerges of what God's blessings look like. There's an immense privilege there in being built together as his temple, as the Lord's delight. And so let's be a church that that build together. Huge privilege. Um, Second, lots of challenge to that then. What does that even look like? What does it mean for us if we're going to be this church that builds together? Well, Well, four general challenges, and then we can think about some specifics later. First, if we are going to be this building of God, this temple of God, then we're called to holiness in every aspect of our lives. Look at the language used in verse 5 and in verse 9. Together they are to be a holy priesthood. In verse 9, a holy nation. God's special possession, declaring God's praises because he's called them out of darkness and into light. Peter had loads of application through his letter, but, but this challenge to holiness is everywhere. It bookends this little passage. It's there in verse 1 and it's there in verse 11. Verse 1, rid yourself of all that rubbish. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. In verse 11, dear friends, as foreigners and strangers in the world live differently, abstain from sinful desires. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to authorities and later in the letter to each other. Be different. To be a temple of God requires that we as his church be holy in every aspect of life together. Brothers and sisters, how how do we do with that challenge? Are there areas of our corporate life that we need to purify? Where we let the message down 
where we don't show his pattern? What are the areas of our, our individual lives that we acknowledge are just not up to scratch? Isn't it part of the gift of church that as we are built together, those weak areas are exposed painfully sometimes and challenged and we rub up against each other and, and we're pushed to change and grow in ways that as a solo Christian I never would be? A second challenge. If we are to be built together as the Lord's temple, then we need each other. And we don't always like that. Maybe you're profoundly aware that you need others in the church. Maybe you see that, and and that need is met through the social aspects of church. Or the friendship, or the emotional support. Maybe, Maybe it's through the teaching. Maybe it's through the knowledge of of other faithful Christians who pray for you. Maybe it's through direct practical support in terms of physical or or financial weakness. Maybe you're really conscious of that. And you worry that perhaps you're a burden. Maybe you feel guilty. In which case, let me encourage you. First, you're not the only one. And second, this is as it should be. But secondly, also we realise we need you too. Each brick is built together in this glorious temple and is an essential part of it that is given for the good of the rest of the body. We need others. We need you to teach and encourage and serve and challenge us and pray for us so that we can grow in living lives of of self-sacrifice so that we can be pushed to change where we need to. We need you just as much as the other way around. Or, Or maybe frankly you feel quite independent or that you feel that you don't get much back and church life and service it is giving. It can often be more duty and drudge and busyness and stress than joy, can't it? In which case, brothers and sisters, remember what you're part of, how you are needed by the rest of the church, and also remember your need and dependence for them as well. And so lean on them. Let let us know how you need prayer. Be honest in your conversation with us. Let us know how you're feeling. Let your house group know when the burden feels too much to carry. Let, Let your friends in church know when you need their support. Because being a temple of God means we're not independent. We are dependent on each other. Third challenge. If we're to be built together into the temple of God, I take it that we're not yet finished. That's just important to acknowledge. We're far from perfect. There are other stones out there for us yet to reach. There is work yet to be done in aligning us correctly and chiselling the edges off sometimes. So we need to be wary of self-satisfaction. And we didn't... We need an attitude of dependence as we come to him 
to build us. So to be consistent in, in prayer and in depending on him to do the building. And fourthly, last general application. It's not optional. Despite what my heart would sometimes like. I find verse 10 here quite striking. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Said in the same breath. Being part of his people, being church together is intimately related to having received mercy and to responding to the gospel. And I need to be careful when my heart says otherwise. Those are some general challenges. There are plenty of specific questions we could ask ourselves about the areas of church life that we're involved in. That, that's something that we'll be doing in a moment. We can think about the, uh, the ways we do discipleship, the ways that we teach and build each other up, the church that we want to be. Just briefly now, let, let me preempt that and, and ask a few questions for you. As you come to him, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. What difference does it make to our Outlooks in our ministries, in our service, if we are living stones, working with and for other living stones as part of a great temple, how is, how is that going to tweak the way that I think about house group, or real life, or, or buttercups, or youth work, or, or cleaning the loose? As we lead music or, or set out chairs or organise big events or preach or give people lifts, what, what difference is it going to make to the status we see for ourselves and each other? That we're living stones, that we're part of a greater entity built on the pattern and for the glory of Jesus. That could be exalting. That could be humbling. We, we may need either. Or how about this? As we weigh up our time, or our money, or our emotional energy, we, we, we try to work out which areas of service we can slot into, what we can put up with, what we can give. What difference does it make to see the scale of this project that Peter's talking about? And lastly, of course, people can be difficult. We don't get on with everyone. There, there are exasperations in church. People are frustrating. They're demanding. What difference will it make to me if I see them as living stones too? Precious and chosen. What will it do to the way that we bear with others? Are there going to be attitudes and responses to individuals that we need to repent of? How does the change in their status inform our desire to invest in them and to disciple and build up and mentor. It's all very serious. So let me finish as promised with encouragement. I've tried to talk a bit about what is being done as God builds his temple and, and a bit about the daunting implications but, but not about the important bit which is how. 
And the answer is that just before this in 1 Peter, he's just reminded them of the gospel. And the amazing riches which we have sung of earlier, which we have thought a bit about already today. Of the gospel's enduring steadfast work. And he's told them to, to crave that like babies longing for milk. Because it's only as they come to Jesus that they will be built together as churches. It's as they feast on his word and his character. And that word, it's the lifeblood of our church, isn't it? Not giving, although that's useful, do it. Not effort or organisation. We're anchored in the word. And there's this lovely feedback loop. Of course, in, in verse 10, gospel response, receiving mercy, led to church engagement, being part of a people. But of course, then church engagement drives a diet of the gospel. And, and we see it at work in each other. And we're challenged and we rejoice as we see people grown. And we together turn to his word in teaching and in prayer. It's in his gospel message, in his word and by his spirit that Jesus gives us everything that we need to stand firm as stones in his temple. And so as we as a a church and as home groups and friends are, are constantly grounded in that word, we will be constantly supported and built up and encouraged and challenged to grow. We can trust him for that. We're not finished, we're still being built, but the builder is reliable. The architect's plan is good. The foundation is solid as a rock laid at the cross. We can trust the pattern of cornerstone Jesus lays down. We can trust in his glory as it's revealed, as he's finally placed as the capstone. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let me pray for us. Father God, equip and teach us to be those who come to your Son, clinging to him, knowing his word and his ways. By your Spirit, transform and build us as living stones, as imitations of him and and lay us in the pattern that he has set. Teach and equip us to be a holy priesthood together who relish supporting and building up your people. Give us wisdom and insight as we now look at various aspects of our church life and think, what will it look like to build together? Feed our our passion for your people. Sing in them something of what you have loved. Amen.